Okay. Well, we do love to uh, have friends with us. We, we don't just have guest speakers at Gateway. We have people who come and serve amongst us who we know, love and, who know and love us and care for us. It was great to have Pete and Nicky with us last summer. Uh, those of you around might remember Pete preaching last summer. And we really do enjoy having kind of ongoing connection with people. Pete and Nicky have been friends of Grace and Mind for the last 27 years, I think it must be now. We're not that old, are we? <laughs> we really... And um, uh, Pete and Nicky lead a church in uh, Ealing in London, doing an amazing job there. I had the joy of being up with them just before Christmas, uh, helping in appointing some new elders, strengthening the team there. So there's a strong connection between our two churches, and it's... It's brilliant to have Pete and Nicky back with us this morning. So can we welcome Pete? Great. Yeah, I would love to say a thank you. Thank you for Matt coming up. Uh, I know it's nothing compared to Cape Town, but we do enjoy having him come up to London. Uh, that we, he appointed three more elders for us last year, which is fantastic. So we've gone from three to six elders. Church has now been going nine years. And uh, we've really appreciated the support of Matt. Uh, I know you're a very, very generous church. I know you give away in terms of your staff and their time and their energy. He's telling me about your gift days for this building. It is phenomenal. And uh, I don't know if you appreciate that. You know, I, I'm coming to try and receive some of your generosity that I can rub it off on my church when we get back. We don't have a single building. I mean, this is phenomenal what you've got here. And I know you've got the other building that's being done. So it is really, really exciting to partner with you. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. I know you've been looking at a series, A House for My Name, Journeying Through the Old Testament. And I'm going to jump back and look at Genesis 22. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Father... We believe the Bible is your word to us. We believe it is relevant right here, right now, today. Lord, some of us might have heard this passage many times. Some, it might be the first time. God, what we want to do is we want to hear your voice through it. Lord, we pray that you challenge our minds. We pray that it will expand our heart. And we pray it will impact our hands and the way that we live this week, this month. For your glory, Lord. Amen. Right, I've called this Abraham the man of faith. I know that you are looking this year at the whole thing of faith. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship 
and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stand, stayed in Beersheba. Let me ask you a question. I ask it of myself. Am I full of faith today? Am I full of faith? Let's be honest. In a, a, a land of fake news, we doubt everything now, don't we? Is that really true? How do I know? How do I know if somebody is not just conning me? So as Christians, how do we come to God and say, actually, God, I'm going to trust you? I know Matt is an outstanding Bible teacher. And so I know if I said to you, come on, give me some things about faith, many of you would throw back Hebrews 11, verse 6. I say, come on, without faith, it's impossible to please God. How often do we think about what faith is? I wish we had time to go through the, the whole book of Mark. Because just as I just skimmed through this week, Jesus challenges them on faith time after time. In Mark chapter 2, he sees the faith of the friends that are bringing this paralyzed man on a mat, doesn't he? He says, I, I see your faith. He'll be healed. God sees the faith and God responds. And yet after the storm that has been calmed, and they're in a boat, aren't they? And, and they think they're going to drown. And God 
steps up. Jesus just says, be still. And then what does he do? He questions the disciples. Do you still not believe? Then we jump into Mark 5, and, and the woman's been bleeding for 12 years, but she comes in the crowd, and she thinks, if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And he says, power's gone out. And he says to her, wow, you're healed. Your faith has healed you. And yet, in the very next chapter, he's in his hometown, and he says, I can't do much, because you don't believe. The blind man in Mark 10, he says, go, your faith has healed you. And then he teaches the disciples in Mark 11. He says, look, if you just got faith, you, you could tell this mountain to move. And it would happen. He rebuked his disciples in Mark 16. Uh, they'd seen him after he'd risen. He said, why are you still struggling to believe? If we're really honest, you look at Mark and it seems to just flip between those that trust God and those that doubt which group would you be in? Which group am I in? The Bible so often teaches us through a story. And this story, I believe, challenges us loads about faith. Abraham, the man of faith, I have called it this morning. But let's not jump into this without realizing. I mean, maybe you're here for the first time. It's great having you with us. You just think, did that guy really just read that this guy's about to kill his own son? Yeah, I'm not here to talk about parenting. Because you'd look at this and think, man, that is just shocking, isn't it? I have a son called Isaac. My youngest boy, he's now 22. What about the confusion of this? The sudden, this cruelness. Let's be honest, today, if, if anything's true, you've got to send a photo of it, and it's got to go on social media, hasn't it? We don't believe it unless we see a picture. The Renaissance was about 400 years ahead of social media, and they believed the same thing. I found this painting that had come out 400 years ago, an Italian who's saying this is, this is the event. It's almost like this, Abraham, you know, holding his son down, pulls out this knife. They wanted to try and visualize what had gone on with this shocking, shocking story. Nine eleven. where were you when you heard the news? I can still remember now, I was on a leadership training course, I was in Brighton. I remember coming out, turning on my phone, and just hearing, a plane has gone into the Twin Towers. America's under attack. Abraham would have always remembered this event. This would have been a shocking, shocking challenge for him. This was a, a, a tough test, was it not? This goes against common sense. This goes against human affection. You love your kids. This goes against his lifetime ambition. We know that Abraham was desperate to have children, that his line might continue. This goes against God's divine promise, doesn't it? It says right at the beginning, God tested him. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? I think there's a difference between a test and a temptation. I think a test is an opportunity for us to prove our love to God. I think temptation is an opportunity for us to sin against God. 
I'm not saying that God tempted him, but God tested him. I guess that's a challenge, even when, when we come with giving our money, isn't it? We, we, do we love God? There's a, there's a challenge here. One commentator said on that, God tests us not by trying to make us miserable, but by disrupting our comfort zone, thus forcing us to rely upon him. And I guess that's what we see in this story. But what we discover from Abraham, which I find so amazing, is his humble heart. His humble heart. What does he say? He says, here I am. Well, if you know your Bible, you would know that this was exactly the same phrase that Moses used when he came across this burning bush. You know, and he discovers that's God. And he goes, here I am. You'd know it's also the same phrase that Samuel, the boy, used when he was asleep in the temple and he hears this voice calling to him in the night. And initially he thinks it's his master, but then his master says, no, it's God. And what does Samuel say? He says, here I am. A place of surrender. What I find most fascinating about Abraham is he uses it twice. Before and after. So even in the time of testing, his heart had not got hard. When he heard God speak, he said, here I am. When God says, right, go and take your son and do all this. When God calls again, he says, here I am. I guess to me that just feels a challenge about God and faith. So I want to pull out a couple of lessons here. Faith listens. God speaks and Abraham listens. Faith starts with what God says, not what I feel. Oh, golly, I need to speak this to myself. Look, I feel pumped now because, you know, these guys have led us in great worship. And it's wonderful seeing so many people in church. I, I feel pumped, but how am I going to feel tomorrow? Is faith on how I feel or what God says? Because faith here starts with what God says. He listens to God. Then we discover that faith obeys. Abraham is quick to obey. Early the next morning. I mean, let's be honest. If God had said to you, come on, I want you to go and kill your son, what, what would you have done about that? If I'd have been honest, I'd have put it at the bottom of my to-do list. I said, I think that's one I just need to weigh. I think maybe I'll speak to some friends about that. Maybe I'll just pray, and if God speaks on a second occasion, on a third occasion, yeah, that's a big word, isn't it? Abraham knows that he's heard God, and so early the next morning, it says he gets up, and he, he's quick to obey. We know that he obeys when God says to him, leave the land of your fathers. We know that he obeys when God says, actually, I want circumcision to be the sign for you and your tribe. Faith obeys. Sometimes, if I'm really honest, it's not hearing God that's my problem, it's obeying God that's my problem. I think, well, I know what God said. I'm just not sure if I want to do it. Then where does it go? Faith plans. I love this, and, and I try to sort of, you don't want to give away the whole sermon, the way you read the passage, but his faith plans. He trusts God. What does he say to the two servants? They've loaded up the donkey. They've got all this wood there. They've traveled this time. And then suddenly he says to the servants, we will go. We will worship. We will come back. Well, that's a plan, isn't it? Because he was going to kill his son. But actually, that's something of, of the plan. He, he said, well, I've still got this plan. If you know the Bible, you know that there's a real tragic book called the book of Job. 
and things go horribly wrong. And often, when I read the book of Job, you end up with this phrase. It almost like the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But if I'm honest, when I read this story, I think the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but I believe he can give back. Because that's what Abraham was saying, wasn't it? There's this plan. Not only does faith plan, faith speaks. I mean, there's this whole elephant in the room, isn't there? Just imagine it. Father and son, you're walking up there. He's carrying the light. He's got the knife. That's great. He's got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Hello. <laughs> you know what I mean? Abraham speaks faith to his son. Are your words words that inspire faith in other people, or do they cause doubt? Do you speak out words if you're really honest? Say, Come on, I believe God, we could do this. I believe God's spoken, and I'm going to declare that if I'm really honest. Oh, I'm not too sure. Hey, Matt's a bit keen, isn't he? You know what I'm saying? Let's just hold back on this. I'll find out at the beginning of April what the gift day was. But now, actually, faith speaks words of life. And then faith acts. I don't know about you. I quite like the idea of faith thinking. I like the idea of faith reasoning. I like the idea of faith discussing. But what we discover here is that faith acts. Abraham takes the knife to slay his son. Isaac is bound and placed on the altar. That's an action, isn't it? Right, that's the end of the sermon. <laughs> We'd all think that was absolutely shocking, wouldn't we? He, he must have thought, when I approached the sermon, uh, that's where it's going to go. How would he know what was going to happen apart from this? Well, Hebrews does give us a clue. Hebrews 11, which is the chapter all about faith, says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. I said, oh, wow, this, this is real faith. Faith active. Faith pressed on. Faith didn't say, I'm going to sit and talk about it. Faith said, I'm going to do James tells us, doesn't it, that Abraham was considered righteous for what he did. His faith and actions were working together. So what do we learn? We learn that faith acts, it prays, it gives, it declares, it serves. But if, if Abraham was here this morning and he was, he was going to say, you know what, Pete, I really want them to learn one thing about faith from this story, what would it be? Well, I think he tells us a clue in what he calls God. You see, if, if, if I'd have gone through this story, I'd have said, I survived. I'd have said, I believed. I'd have said, I obeyed. I might have even called the story, God provided. But Abraham doesn't use any of those titles. What does he do? Abraham says, the Lord will provide. Which is a really interesting phrase when your son has just been spared. Why didn't you say God has provided? 
He said, God will provide. On the mountain, it will be provided. You see, I honestly believe that what we get here is a picture of Abraham, who is a man of faith, who sees something of God that maybe we missed in a story like this. You might say, ah, come on, Peter, how are you getting that? Well, in verse 18, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because he describes what are the descendants going to do? The descendants are going to take over the cities. So that's plural. That's lots of people. But how is it going to happen? Via your offspring, which is singular. So although he believed there was a blessing for the people, he realized it was going to come through one man. And what we have to do so often with these stories, which is I know you've been looking at, is we have to stand back and say, how does this fit into the whole Bible? Well, we'll know, don't we, that in Genesis 3, when things go horribly wrong and people sin, that actually there's going to be this seed that will be a saviour. It's going to be the, the one that we're going to look forward to. You can read about it in Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed and hers. And so throughout the story, they're starting to think, hey, when's the one man coming? Who's going to be the one man that's going to save us? Who's going to be the one man that's going to reverse the thing that went so horribly wrong in the Garden of Eden when we turned our back on God? There's going to become one. Abraham, by faith on the mountain, understands that one is still to come. So his faith is looking for the one. Look, I know you're Bible scholars here, so you're going to push me back and say, how do you get that? Well, the Bible tells us that. Galatians 3. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Abraham understood on the mountain the point of faith was not about what he thought, what about he said, but his point of faith was, I'm looking forward to the one. Some of us, even as, as you listen to the Bible being read, you, you start thinking, hey, there's a phrase there that means some sense. Three times, right at the beginning, it says, your son, your only son, your one and only son. There's this real tenderness, isn't there, in the way that Isaac is described. Many of us would think, oh, that's reflected, isn't it, in John 3, 16? And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only. Oh, I'm beginning to see what Abraham was seeing. When he was told, this is your son, your only son, your one and only son. Oh, God gave his one and only son. There's details packed in this. You know, and you think, oh God, you suddenly think, oh, there's a layer and a layer and a layer. And I'm just understanding it more and more. Mariah. I know there's several runners in this church. I know you're a fit bunch. Someone told me beforehand they're training for a half. Mariah was actually 45 miles from where Abraham was. But obviously, if you're a runner, you'd rather describe it in kilometers, 72 kilometers. It was a long distance to go. Hey, you, you do you do kill your son, and I want you to go to that place. I want you to travel 45 miles. Why, Mariah? Well, we know, don't we, in the rest of Scripture, that, hang on, Mariah, wasn't that the place where the temple was built? We know, don't we, in 2 Chronicles, 
3, verse 1, that Solomon began to build the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Oh, wow. So this place where this sacrifice was going to take place was going to be the place where they're going to build the temple, where many sacrifices would take place to try and cover for the sins of the people. So by faith, Abraham was seeing something, wasn't he? We know that when people turn up, they often rename the place. The Romans renamed it. They didn't call it Moriah. They referred to it as the skull. They reckon it's probably the same place in Luke 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him. Oh, so this sense of this son that was going to die in the place because God had said so, was pointing not only to the temple, but pointing to Jesus. Oh, wow, he saw something. Throughout this, there's so many clues. I don't know if you like this kind of stuff. You can do treasure trails all over the place. Mick and I quite like it. You go around London, you discover so many things you've just never seen before. You know, you, you look like a complete tourist. And I think, you know, someone says, oh, are you on holiday? No, no, I've lived here for, hey, goodness, so many years. But I just love it because you just discover stuff. Well, I think that's true here. Many of you would have picked up straight away. Oh, the third day. He traveled, and it said on the third day. The third day was considered a portion of breakthrough, a place of breakthrough. Something's going to happen. If if you know the book of Genesis, and this all comes out of the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph is not treated particularly well by his brothers, and you know he ends up in prison, doesn't he? He interprets the dream of the, of the winemaker and, and the baker. And What does it say? Three days later, on Pharaoh's birthday, it's decided that one would be raised up and one would be killed. So on the third day was a place where something's going to happen. We see that here in Genesis as well. Oh, so on the third day, this is a really important point of the story. But then all of you are going to shout out at me because I know that you read your Bibles. (laughs) Paul writes to the church in Corinthians that he, Christ, was buried. He was raised on the third day. Oh, wow, so when I understand something of faith, it's not about what do I say or what do I believe, it's who do I see in Christ. This, to me, is a picture that stirs us. I I was thinking about it. You you go back to the story again and again. His son puts the wood on his shoulders to carry it up the hill. Well, where's that in Scripture? I mean, doesn't it tell us? In John 19, Jesus carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Oh, wow, this is a picture. What had Abraham seen? He'd seen something prophetically that would stir his faith. Talks, doesn't it, even about the lamb. The lamb that they're looking for, this offering. We know again that even in Scripture, this was only symbolic in the Old Testament. Oh, you can kill a lamb, but it doesn't ultimately. But what they believed is prophetically, one day there would come a lamb. It tells us that in Isaiah. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the... What they're believing is one day there would be this ultimate lamb that would be sacrificed. 
And when John's just about to baptize his cousin, what does he say? Look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, my daughter's got engaged. My daughter's 24, a guy called Joshua, which is a little bit confusing in our family because my oldest son is called Joshua as well. So it seems a bit rude to call him Josh 1 and Josh 2. Our name's Cornford, his name is Collis, so I can't even call Josh C and Josh C. Anyway, he works for London City Mission, so I was telling him about this preach, you know, and uh, I, I was saying, look, there's so many details in this. I said, it's such a clear picture, isn't it, that he saw something of Jesus. I said, even when he looked up, and it says, doesn't it, that this ram is in a thicket caught by horns. You, you, you almost see the head is surrounded by thorns. He said to me, well, that's a bit Matthew Henry, isn't it? I said, I know, but it's a nice picture. <laughs> but there's almost that picture, this ram with the, the crown of thorns that we know Jesus has. In John 19, the soldiers twisted together. I think this is what stirs Abraham to be a man of faith. Not that he's looking at himself. Not that he's saying, right, I will believe. He sees something prophetically. Do we? The more I read into this, the more challenged I became. Isaac is not a boy. There were some other pictures I could have shown you, and many of those in the Renaissance time painted Isaac as virtually naked because he was considered innocent. Oh, he's just a lad. How could you do that to your lad? Look, Isaac could carry the wood. He, he wasn't in a pushchair, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's not just some little innocent. In fact, Jewish tradition reckoned that Isaac was 37 years old when this happened. I told you, my son Isaac is 22. He works out at the gym four times a week. I used to bundle him. I don't anymore. You know what I'm saying? I used to think, let's have an arm wrestle. I don't anymore. We know Abraham was an old man. We know that Isaac was robust. So to me, there is a sense that the son submitted to the father's plan. And actually, the son says, Okay, Dad, this is what we're doing. Just think as a parent, what's the one thing that would be worse than someone asking you to kill your own son? It's a shocking thought, isn't it? What kind of church is this? The one thing that would be worse is to actually kill your own son. Abraham was asked to do it. But when Jesus hung on a cross for us, there was no shout from heaven enough. There was no shout from the Father saying, Stop! Okay, someone else take the place. The Father didn't just say, Oh, that seems a good idea. He carried it through. In this story, God says to Abraham, Now I know that you fear me. But when Jesus died on the cross, we can say to God, now I know you love me. You see, this is a picture of faith that blows us apart, doesn't it? The son, though sinful, was spared. The guilty does not die. The animal takes his place. But that is not true of Jesus. 
I mean, it tells us, doesn't it, in Mark, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I tell you, if you want to be stirred in faith, don't try and work yourself up. Look at Jesus. This is what blows my faith. The book of Genesis, to me, is divided in two halves. I have to be careful here now because I know, you know, I feel intimidated by those I'm preaching in front. I would say the whole Bible hinges on Genesis 11. That the Bible is not split into the Old and the New Testament, but it's split into Genesis 1 to 11 and Genesis 12 to the end of Revelation. Because the gospel foundations are established in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. God has made us, we've sinned. We've turned our back on him. That God has got a plan. And then what we discover here in the rest of Genesis is actually he works through a family. The family are less than perfect. We can't sit here and pretend we've got it all right and those people out there have got it all wrong. It's by God's grace that he comes to us. And instead he wants to catch us up into this bigger story. The whole gospel story is not that God is going to bless our individual lives and make us happy. It's that we get to live for him and get caught up in his eternal plan. That's what we discover out of this. So Abraham would want to say to us, if you want faith, focus on the God who will provide, which is Jesus Christ. Like Isaac, we were facing death, but God provides another to die in our place. What should we say? In response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I want to encourage your faith today, not by, look, you are a generous bunch, and uh, you know you, you serve brilliantly, I'm not, but by saying, let's look at Jesus Christ. When I fix my gaze upon him, that is what stirs my faith. I've got one last slide, and I just want to read a song to you as we just think about this for one moment. You may well sing this one here. In some respect, to me, it summarizes the whole chapter. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. 
I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let's stand together. Let's respond. Look to Jesus, the one who's paid it all.